KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, the Outdoor Hour, giving you the inside scoop on the great outdoors on 1077 The Franchise. As long as I can remember, I've been drawn to the outdoors. There's something primal in each of us that awakens when we step outside the bounds of modern society and back into the vast possibilities of the natural world. The more civilized our lives become, the louder our hearts cry for reconnection with our native ways. Failure is imminent, dangers drawing nigh, but approached with reverence and tact, the outdoors return wisdom and gain. In both the outdoors and in life, harvests are fleeting, but lessons and memories abound. With that in mind, we step forth boldly together in pursuit of ourselves outdoors. We are nothing more than tree stand troubadours. Welcome inside the outdoor hour. We got a fun show lined up for you this week. On the line with us from Chama, New Mexico, one of the most beautiful places in the lower 48, my good friend Austin Fippen is on the call with us this week. I'm Taylor Maples. Joshua Wildman Stratton is in studio. What's up? <laughs> I'm just waiting to see what you had for us, my man. You know, I, you know, keeping it low key for now. Yeah, for now. We'll see. Todd Lizenby is always on the one and twos for us this week inside the outdoor hour. Austin, how's things in Chama? Things are awesome. Uh, it's still nice and chilly here. We're just uh, hovering around freezing temperatures. It snowed up high two days ago. Runoff is huge, so no fishing yet. But uh, things are finally starting to green up, and it's starting to feel like summer around here. Starting to finally warm up. So, for anyone listening that doesn't know about Chama, New Mexico, you guys are located what about nine miles south of the Colorado state line, kind of central part of the state there. Yes. So we're just just barely south of the Colorado border um, in New Mexico, and so. If Chama, New Mexico was Chama, Colorado, this place would be a very different place. <laughs> we say it's the last great place. They take Montana's slogan. Um, people don't know about Chama because we end in New Mexico, which means we have saguaro cactuses and it's super dry and it's the desert. You know, the border, the border is a real line where the desert starts and, uh, you know, it's mountains as soon as you drive into Colorado, which of course we all know is not true. So, um, we sit at the foot of the San Juans, which range from here all the way up to Telluride. Um, so we sit just below 8,000 feet. So winter is long and cold, and we get a whole lot of snow. And so our last snowstorm uh, in town was the beginning of May, which is pretty typical for here. So um, we are not what you think of when you think New Mexico. The first time I drove down here, I was shocked. Um, and the first time I drove in here, too, I was also like, when are we moving? Because this place is absolutely <laughs> beautiful, and not a lot has changed compared to the rest of the Rocky Mountain West. So you grew up here in Oklahoma in Cashin. Shout out to the Fippin family. We love you guys. Uh, your sister actually works here at the franchise 1077, which is cool. Aubin, uh, the bartender she's known as during the day. She's an intern here. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. She's an intern here. So we're hearing her called the bartender. The bartender. She does really good work here. So uh, shout out to the Fitton fam. Um, but you went to school down, it was Carl Albert Junior College, right? Down in the kind of eastern, southeastern part of the state. Um, you and I met in Denver coaching youth baseball together. Um, you married a wonderful young woman from Durango, 
lived there. You were in uh, Pagosa for a little while, and now you're in Chama, New Mexico. You own a couple of businesses, wedding venue, a great little roadside motel. Um, but man, like even just you and I are really close. For starters, this is one of my favorite things about Austin. He's the only guy in my life, and take notes on this, Josh. He's okay. the only guy in my life that will pick up the phone and just call me. He's like, hey, I'm driving somewhere. Just wanted to see how you're doing. Okay, man. first How's off, things? not the only one. I do that all the time. You, you call to yell at me, though. You never answer the phone. Okay, that's true. Yeah. That's true. So I call you when I'm driving, which happens to be after the working day, traditionally. And uh, you play this I'm with my family card, <laughs> which, you know, seems pretty selfish. Um, and and then you say you'll call me back and you don't. Yeah, exactly. What do you say? Go ahead. He gets, he gets to see you every day. No, 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 uh, no. Too many days. Taylor and I spent, um, I mean, we didn't spend a ton of time together in Denver, but when you uh, sit on a bucket of baseballs and flip baseballs for four hours to nine-year-olds yeah, for three months, apparently you get very close. We worked at a youth baseball place where they basically would tell us they don't want us to coach up every kid. Like, they're paying money. Just find the good ones. Just find the good ones. But honestly, it was like we'd sit in two tunnels right next to each other and just do front flips, front toss for like four hours a night. And every fifth or sixth pitch, say, hey, good swing. All right, next kid. Um, Wow. Seems seems like you guys were really impactful. (laughs) Yeah, really uh, impactful. Really impactful. But we got to know each other quite a bit. And and now that he's living in Chama, um, it just – it's not that far. It's not that far, but I get so jealous because the lifestyle that he lives is just the lifestyle that I long for. I mean, oh, really? every time I see his posts, they're snowshoeing, they're backcountry skiing, they're snowmobiling, they're fly fishing. They just bought a new little uh, bumper pole camper for his wife and two little girls. And I just, when you when you think about the outdoor hour, and we focus a lot on the hunting and fishing side of things, but just from like a recreational standpoint, man, you live the dream, Austin. You really do. It's, um, it looks, you know, we're showing the highlight reels, um, but uh, it's, it is pretty good. It's funny, you meant, most of the things you mentioned are in the winter. Uh, we <laughs> live in an economy where we make most of our money for six months. In the summer, when everybody's up here visiting, and then the winter's pretty slow. So in the summer, we try to get outside. It's really hard. Um, but, you know, when we do take time off, we are outside. But in the winter, we get outside a lot, um, which is a lot of people find funny. They're like, man, that's a harder time of year. But it's really what we love to do is ski and snowmobile and just be outside in the winter. But, um, but yeah, we – we try to be outside as much as possible living in Chama. I mean, honestly, if you don't like being outside, it's a pretty miserable place to live. Um, there's not a lot to do here. Nearest Walmart is an hour. Movie theaters, an hour and a half. We do have a drive-in now, but, I mean, if you don't like being outside, you are probably going to be pretty miserable living here. Um, and so we we absolutely love it. And uh, Taylor did mention when he was introducing me as my three – or, sorry, my two little girls – I have a uh, three-year-old next week, um, on Monday she turns three, and then my, uh, sorry, Sunday she turns three, and then my other daughter is six months old this coming weekend as well, so man, that's, that's kind of what we, it's changed the way we get outside, but uh, we, they're now just in tow. I think we, that... We tried not to change the lifestyle, just to drag them along. 
it's amazing. And we could find some pictures. I'll dig some up and post them on social media. But just the quintessential outdoorsman father stuff, like snowmobiling with a baby in a backpack or skiing in the backcountry with a baby in a backpack. And now Renly's old enough that she's getting on skis herself and you can kind of drag her around the property there on the ranch. And I just love that. I know I've got now a nine-month-old daughter. Josh has a couple of young kids. It's, yeah, I got the old kids compared to you, kid. You yeah, guys. sure. But it's <laughs> it's so difficult, you know, in this season of life that we're in as guys to go from, you know, our outdoor adventures are selfish. It's like, what am I going to get up to this week? And where can I go? What adventures can I have? To kind of turning that page and saying, um, how can I start to bring these kids along? And obviously, Austin, you and I are in the very, very infancy stages of that. Um but starting to look at your outdoor adventures differently as an inclusive thing, um, it's just such a kind of a, a changing of the guard, if you will. But I think you've done a good job of creating those opportunities. And like you said, it doesn't hurt that you live in a place like Chama, New Mexico. Well, no. And I mean, we, a lot of it too has to do with family. Like, I mean, Josh, I don't know your wife, but I mean, I know Sam Taylor's wife. Um, Without that, you can't get outside with kids. Um, it's too hard. And so my wife is a huge part of it. Like you're, you know, talking about all the stuff we do. And then I'm also picturing like the last elk that my, the last and only elk my wife has shot. Um, and it would have been in 2019 or 2020, right before my daughter was born, my wife went elk hunting with while she was pregnant. Um, so, Rinley is technically in that photo too. Um, there with their cow elk, and so my my wife joked when she shot that elk, it was mama's mama's uh, providing for mama's. But, That's really uh, cool, man. Honestly, like let's pause on that for a moment. She took a cow elk um, as a pregnant mom to be. That's just such a cool experience and story. Tell us a little bit about that. I know it was an unbelievable shot she took for starters. It was, um, and so it wasn't. It wasn't a big like. It's not what people think about when you're thinking of like a really cool elk hunt. Um, in Chama, we are at the foot of two mountain ranges, the San Juans and the Tusas, and so they're both loaded with elk from Colorado and New Mexico. Well, when it snows a ton, all those elk end up in our valley, and so come the beginning of winter before they migrate further down south down valley like in november december once it's too deep to be in the mountains you can't drive anywhere on the highway without seeing elk let alone getting off the road and so it was not a very um difficult elk hunt you know we were driving around in the car looking for them getting out hiking not super far and shooting and so we had already we had already taken one elk with a young kid that day who was 13 and then Later in the afternoon, we were able to put a pretty easy, basic stock on a on a massive cow, the largest cow I've ever butchered up. Um, and she, Carly made her first uh, kill animal kill period ducks, fish, anything on a massive cow elk at 500 yards with a 243, which was pretty incredible to watch. Um, a lot longer poke than I've ever made, that's for sure. Um, but it was, it was a blast. And then she helped me cut it up. We hung it in her barn and, um, we did all the butchering ourselves and we learned a ton that year and 
now we're just a little bit better every year trying to make a bunch of mistakes butchering to hopefully the next year waste a little less so the first so. deer that i killed was actually on your family's property out west of town there yeah and your dad came out and helped me field yeah correct Sorry to interrupt you. no that's you're good go ahead that's the family homestead so um taylor's pretty taylor has killed uh, more deer on my family's homestead than i have because we <laughs> never hunted there growing up uh just we always hunted somewhere else and it's hilarious to see him hunting on our family's homestead when i haven't i've only really fished there but it's really cool because i don't have family here in the immediate area um, but to get access to a place like that and to get to go harvest an animal, and then I didn't know what I was doing. I'd watch some YouTube videos, but I called your dad and said, hey, man, I just shot a deer. Can you come help me find this thing and figure out what to do with it? And your dad actually came out um, and helped me locate. Your dog came out and helped us find it and field dress it, and then I actually hung it in your grandpa's barn um, for a couple of days as I fumbled my way through uh, butchering this thing. But it was really cool to get to see that kind of through your dad's eyes as my first kill um, because I know your dad's, you know, big, big game hunter. Yeah, exactly. And now for us to be coming of an age where we're going to start getting our kids into this stuff, that's really neat. What was it like for you being with Carly um, as she harvested her elk and going through that process for the first time? Well, it was pretty darn cool. I mean, for one, we were, I figured she'd ball her eyes out, never shooting anything, which she didn't. And she, she kind of felt bad. She's like, I didn't even cry. It all happened so fast. <laughs> um, but uh, it was really cool. Like, um, it was my first time butchering an elk. I had only butchered, uh, butchered I guess I had, I had butchered mine the year before. But, um, you know, we, uh, we learned a ton together. Like that was the first time we'd done the whole thing top to bottom ourselves. Typically I skinned them and then took them to the processor and we were like, well, we have the time it's winter. So let's hang it, do it right and do our own thing. And, um, it's funny you bring up my dad. Cause, uh, we, the day we decided to butcher it, I had no idea how long it would take. It ended up being a 12 hour day. Yeah. Um, from, and that was with it already skinned. And so we, we start, cleaning this thing, grinding up all the meat. And then my mom and dad had been driving in that day to spend uh, New Year's with us. And they arrived at like 11 PM and my dad helped us cut up, cut up meat till one in the morning because we just, I had no idea how long it would take to cut up an elk, but um, it, it definitely shows how much of a family affair it is. Um, It's, it's pretty cool. It's something we teach our girls. Um, my daughter's about, like I said, about to be three and we live very rural. So she knows all the animals we see. She knows deer. She knows the elk. She knows the eagles. She knows everything. And so it's hilarious. Ever since she could talk, we drive by elk and we, we talk about the meat we eat at home. Um, and so we eat a lot of elk. And so it's hilarious when we drive by elk, no matter who's in the car, people she doesn't know, or just us, she'll, she'll point at and be like, elk. Let's eat them. They're yummy. <laughs> and so it's it's just hilarious that, um, I mean, I grew up, I grew up, we always ate our own beef, but uh, it's just hilarious watching her. She's always like, if we see a deer or an elk, she wants to shoot it so we can eat it. And that's um, so cool because I know your family and because I know your daughter, you know, it's not just a, um, it's, 
she's not being like mean and vicious about this, right? Like she understands the circle of life and and our place in it. Um, because I know that's how you you raise your girls, but that's just really cool that she understands that at that age. So now that we're at the age we're at, and you living in the community you live in Austin, I know you've started to get a little bit more involved politically, whether by choice or you've kind of been voluntold to be in some of these situations. Um, you've been involved with the Trout Unlimited project there in Chama, and there's some really, um, can I say controversial stuff that's been going on uh, with the waterways in the area. You've actually been to Washington, D.C. with the Continental Divide Trail Coalition. You've spoken to multiples of groups about outdoor recreation, whether it's from the land ownership side, um, whether it's from, you know, the the cattle uh, industry side and the ranching, or whether it's from just the recreation, kayaking, mountain biking, skiing, all of that. Um, you've had some really unique experiences, and I want to dive in and ask you some more questions about each of those, let you tell some stories, and educate our listeners a little bit about what's going on in some of these areas. But before we do that, we got to get a break in here. So let's take our first break. When we come back, we'll continue with Austin Fippen on the line from Chama, New Mexico. We'll talk more about Trout Unlimited, some water projects that are going on, uh, how you can get involved, and at least be educated in some of the battles that people are fighting around the country today to try to leave ecosystems and outdoor environments better for their children uh, as we try to pass on this lifestyle to the next generation. We'll have more with Austin after this. Oaky hides are made right here in Oklahoma City, and it's that time of year where everybody is out trying to step up their game for big game hunting. Um, some people are going to saddles. Some people are trying out hang-ons. There's lots of different options out there. I recommend the Oki Hide. If you haven't been on okihides.com, please check them out. They're made right here locally in Oklahoma City by Oklahomans. You can actually go down to their warehouse and see where these things are built, how they're customized, what all options they have for you. I've been talking about Oki Hides for over a year now, and I'm still blown away every time I'm on the phone with Rivers or Roy or anybody down there at the shop, just how personalized the experience is and how passionate they are about the products they put it in the market. So check out okihides.com if you're in the market for a hunting hide. You won't be disappointed. They are overbuilt, overmanufactured, and they're made right here in Oklahoma City. Okiehides.com is the place to go. Back inside the outdoor hour after this. Now back to the outdoor hour with your host Taylor Maples on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the outdoor hour. Austin Fippen is our guest from Chama, New Mexico this week. In studio, Taylor Maples, Joshua Wildman Stratton, Woo. and Todd Lizenby is with us as well. We're talking during the breaks. Uh, one of the most important things when you're having conversations about conservation is really to just get in the weeds with the people whose lives these decisions are affecting. Um, all across the country, you're hearing stories about water access uh, battles and land access disputes, um, public land versus private land, all of that. And I think Austin has a really interesting perspective on a lot of this because 
his life, his recreation, his family, his income, all of that is really affected by some of the decisions that are made and are being made in the New Mexico area, specifically as it pertains to that Chama, New Mexico uh, region. So, Austin, I want to ask you a few questions and kind of start diving in a little bit more on your role in some of these things. But before we do that, can you just paint a picture for us specifically? Let's start with the water access there for the, the Rio Chama uh, in the area. What's been going on and where are we at at this point? All right, I'll do my best to make this uh, brief and concise because it's a very long story, of course. Um, But basically, like, I cannot remember the exact year, but uh, 2015 to 18, somewhere in that ballpark, there was, you know, uh, navigable water um, was the term that was put into New Mexico law. And it landowners could apply, essentially, to claim that they're water was non-navigable, meaning that the public could not walk through it. Um, and so that, that law came into being, and then five landowners applied. They um, got this um, you know, non-navigability, and they were able to essentially put a fence to their property that even if you access the river through public access, um, you could not walk onto their property with the river running through it and be in the river on their property, which previously um, it was always up for debate whether, um, you know, the bottom of the riverbed is owned by the the landowner or is it owned by the state um, and the people. And so, you know, there's lots of issues with that. Um, And that's kind of different state by state, right? This is a common thing for a lot of us in the outdoor world, but not everybody's aware of this. There are some states where as a landowner, you own the high water mark. There's some states where you own, you know, halfway across, um, so previously, what was that rule like for New Mexico? It was kind of undefined. Okay. Um, and so, you know, landowner might say, well, no, that's my property. Um, and then somebody walking through it would be like, no, it's not. It's, it's the river. It's, um, I can be here. I'm below the high, you know, I'm below the high water mark. I'm, I'm legally allowed to be here. Um, so it was kind of up in the air. And so then it got taken to court. Um, so then it became a huge issue. Well, it was the challenge by... National Wildlife Federation and uh, BHA challenged it. And then last spring in March, um, they ruled in favor of public access that landowners could not claim non, non-navigability um, in that the public had a right to be in the water. Um, in New Mexico, it's not the high water mark. It's technically in the river. It's very ambiguous right now. The um, Supreme Court hasn't like, they haven't defined everything. So it's, um, right now, like most people feel a little bit left in the dark on what technically is the rule. Um, but so that changed. And so now we're back to public access um, on the river. And it's a very hot topic. We own our wedding venue, Log River Ranch. Shameless plug, look us up. We are technically <laughs> What's the on website? the Rio Go ahead, give it a plug. Log River Ranch. Okay. Logriverranch.com or on Instagram, Log River Ranch. If you want uh, the beauty of Colorado and looking at the mountains, but uh, want to be in New Mexico, we are the place for you. If you want to get married in a barn and get married in the middle of the horrible heat of Oklahoma in August, in August and it'd be 75 here in Chama. It's where so, I got married. You want to get married? Where Taylor got married. Yeah, not that that's and, a, and he's still, still married. married. So not that that's a reason you know, to go there, but I, good. I can absolutely vouch for you. Log River Ranch is the place to get married. Period. 
especially in the summer when it's miserable in Oklahoma. It is beautiful, and in the 70s, low 80s here in Chalma. Yep. We don't have AC. But you guys are right there along the Rio Chama. Yep, we are, and we've seen people walk through. Whenever the whole river access issue was going on, we'd see people walk through, and our real deal was we're not going to say a thing to anybody as long as they don't come on our property, whatever. They're fishing, you know, good for them. It's good to see people getting out. Um, I mean, I literally river, got up know? on my wedding day and caught a trout on a fly rod in the stream. And on my wedding day. Yeah, and on your wedding day. There's probably the two last trout I caught on a fly rod, to be honest. <laughs> That's funny. A few years apart there, but... Um, yeah, so this whole public access thing has become an issue, but that people may or may not know this, that part of the country, that part of New Mexico around Chama could be a magnet for this kind of industry for fly fishing. There's a little bit of work I think that needs to be done with the waterways in general, but there are people interested in spending that money. There are groups like Trout Unlimited that are invested in helping this become more of a fishery than it really is. Um, but this whole water access piece has kind of been the domino that needs to fall before that kind of stuff can happen. Is that true? Yeah. And I mean, so, so like Taylor mentioned, um, Trout Unlimited, there's a group of people here. Um, we're starting up. It's called the Chalmer River Restoration uh, Partnership. We've been working since 2020. Nothing to this, you know, we're moving at government pace, so nothing has happened at this point. Um, and one thing to mention with Chama is that this is one of the, like the biggest difference between us and Colorado is that we are primarily private land all around the valley. Even the mountains can be private land. When you're up in Colorado, like in Pagosa Springs, Durango, two towns that are close, everything for the most part, once you're in the mountains, is national forest and it's public. In Chama, it's part of the New Mexico land grant stuff, and so there is a lot of private land, which changes like kind of how conservation can be done like probably the best thing you could do for wildlife sometimes is to lock people out and have all private land but if the public doesn't have access to the land why do they want to fund these projects and fund a new mexico game and fish if it's like if we don't have access to the wildlife and uh, fish that we own why do we even care to fund these organizations that are um, you know supporting supporting them so uh, it's that's one thing that's very different here. Um, and so, like, with this river access issue, I see both sides. I was very pro in favor of public access, um, but I also have seen the landowner side of it. Um, we're a landowner along the river. One of those five permits that the state of New Mexico had, I've been on that stretch, and it's by far the most beautiful stretch of river on the Chama that I've been on. The landowners um, could afford to spend money on conservation projects. And they did a huge river restoration project. And that is where most of the trout above and below their, their stretch on their ranch, that's where they all go. They all hide in that, in that little private section because the work they've done. And so what we're wanting to see done is there's right above that private landowner, there is a bunch of hotels, motels right along the river. And currently, pretty much, it gets stocked by the state. That's where all the stalker trout go. Um, they get dumped there. They get fished all summer. They People take out more than, you know, they're legally allowed. The habitat's terrible through there. And so the vast majority of those trout that get dumped and stocked in the river, almost all of them will die. 
um, or they will end up on that ranch and live through the winter there and they'll find a, they'll find you know a haven in the private stretches and so what we're trying to do is how do you bridge the public private divide how do you get how do we support private landowners doing conservation while also giving the public access points to be able to access their fish because you and I all of us we own the fish in the river and so where is that how do we all work together on this issue to make it great so like one of the huge big issues with this is you know like I said that stretch of river beautiful it was a haven for trout well now the public can get in there it's not as good already it's only been a year and we're not you don't see as many trout on that private stretch the biggest problem with the public is is the public the biggest problem with anything public is the public right yep and as people know trout are fickle they die easily they don't they're not bass taylor and i can get into the bass trout debate later but um (laughs) i don't think i want to have that debate with you and josh on the line i think i'd lose that one (laughs) so but so we're trying to figure out what that looks like. Like how do we create a viable fishery that is good for our economy in Chama, but is also good for the trout. Like I don't want to see just stalker trout and tons of people fishing shoulder to shoulder down the river. That doesn't accomplish any of our goals. Like how do we, you know, something sustainable. Yeah. So quality habitat. What's interesting to me in this conversation is um, you continue to, to mention that there is an, an issue or a lack of willingness from others to invest in uh, water that's not publicly accessible. Um, that seems very odd to me, um, mainly because we don't run into that issue at all on a national level at looking at conservation uh, issues related to ungulates. Um, there are plenty of federal grants and um, funding opportunities available for private land initiatives due to the understanding that we're dealing with the connectivity of a herd, which crosses uh, boundary lines of public and private. And so from a biological standpoint, as well as a funding mechanism standpoint, there really are not limitations, um, whether that be through NIFWF or other government agencies and funding that. And so I think one of the yeah, biggest are- one of the biggest issues with the fishing community in general um, is they seem to be significantly more interested in fighting access issues than fighting sustainability issues. They seem more interested in calling a constant divide between public and private than actually doing what's right for the fishery. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. That's what we're trying to do. We we're trying to create habitat and you're talking about the funding. Um, that's why we created this um, partnership is to, is to actually, you know, have an organization, like the more people you have, the louder the voice essentially. But you don't need a loud um, voice is I guess my point. And, 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 okay. and from per- personal experience, I can tell you, um, that quality work is all you need, right? Um, educated and successful people at habitat restoration on a team who have a track record of success is all you need. And the government could care less about someone's ability to hunt or fish on it. 
what they care about is is good habitat happening. And so if the conversation switches from um, I'm doing this for sportsmen and it's to we're doing this for the land, we're doing this for legacy, we're doing this for um, it's the right thing to do for the fishery or for the landscape, the ability to find funders immediately increases dramatically. And the yeah. byproduct of that project is, man, it's great for fisher, uh, for for the people who like to fish that river. Uh, yeah. It's great for I'm the animals. Your understanding, then, huh? I think I, I think I misspoke in how I'm describing it. Then, if that's if that's what I brought on, because that, that I mean that is the goal is to have a quality fishery. Because you can't have quality fishing. Nobody wants to come if the fishery sucks. And I guess anyway, I, I guess well, my point is that I think the the if your approach to the conversation um, on how it's publicly presented and how it's privately presented is that our goal here is economic advancement. Well, that becomes a limiting conversation. But if the promotion of the project publicly and privately is centered at a core belief in the importance of conservation and hinges on the importance of a symbiotic relationship between public and private, particularly as we talk about uh, waterways, then I can tell you from personal experience that the right people show up with the checks that you need them to show up with, and they're significantly larger than anything you would have ever thought would have shown up before. But if the conversation continues to be about um, the viability of a piece of river to a local economy, you will be very limited in your ability to be successful. In the state of Oklahoma, we're dealing with a similar uh, water quality issue and habitat issue as it relates to the Arkansas River and the development of the Jinx Dam um, and the further development of the Zinc Dam. For multiple years, organizations like TU and others have been trying to kill this uh, based upon an economic viability, based upon a variety of issues, the quality of the fishery. Um, but the reality is, is it's a public safety issue. It is a uh, public health issue. And the lack of real viability to the economic platform that the city of Tulsa and the city of Jinx have put forth to the people of Oklahoma. Now that the conversation has changed to, is this actually viable? Um, and has changed to highlighting the concerns for public safety and changed to the concerns of um, a, a threat to public health. Well, it turns out now people are starting to listen. And I say all that just to say that it's very easy for us as hunters and anglers to get wrapped up in believing that the economic impact of our way of life, the access to our way of life, is really important to the masses. Now, you live in a unique place where, percentage-wise, a lot more people hunt and fish than don't. But in the big scheme of things, in the availability of economic support of projects like this, no one really seems to uh, care too much anymore. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting you're saying that because we just wrote, like I mentioned to you guys during the break, we we just um, 
worked on a letter that we're writing uh, to New Mexico Game and Fish. Because that's who we're trying. We know we're working with TU. They're helping us along. But we're trying to work with New Mexico Game and Fish on the issue. And that's the thing we're actually asking for is tighter restrictions um, to help um, with the conservation of, of trout in the area. And so, like, I mean, we have – and that's what's difficult with the stream access issue, too. A lot of private landowners were working with Trout Unlimited um, on doing restoration work and doing – um, some habitat work with the Rio Grande cutthroat. And then when the stream access issue, all these, when the stream access issue came out, all these private landowners got nervous and they all pulled the plug. And so like what we're trying to do is bring everybody to the tape, the same table to all talk to like, how do you make, how do we have a great fishery through private land, through the areas that are public that benefits everybody and the fish? Um, and so I, I think I must have misspoke for for us to get there. But um, I think Josh is just in a fighting mood today. No, I just think <laughs> that I, 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 I mean, I, I do bring probably uh, a little hostility to the conversation because I think that, or I mean, I'll just say say it. I, I, I think that the majority of fishing centric organizations in North America have been nothing but ultimately failing to fishermen. Um, I, I think that they have been way more obsessed about uh, topics of uh, disruption and topics that are divisional in nature than ultimately keeping the main thing the main thing. And um, being with an organization now that's done an exceptional job of being a uniter um, who's been able to span the aisle to uh, accomplish some pretty masterful agreements that have funded or funding projects at the tune of 60 plus million dollars for the next five years to make true legacy impact on the landscape. I can tell you that um, all it takes is someone not being hard up on saying, well, fly fishing's the way or and at the discredit of a conventional fisherman or that, you know, we focus on trout and cold water at the disruption and alienation of warm water fishermen. Yeah, There's a, an insane amount of benefit to adjacent users of clean water. Like that should be the easiest thing to get funded on planet earth. And there is data upon data upon data points to prove the importance of a diversified fishery and its impact on clean water and the and the rippling impacts of that for a community both lo- near and far. And so, so... It's interesting you bring this up. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Yeah, you're good. So, so Chama is kind of a... Like I said, it's the last great place. It's very forgotten. Like we... Like people don't know about here... And it also feels that way when it comes to, like, any kind of funding for anything, like whether it be conservation, um, rural utilities. We're a pretty impoverished community in general. And so, like, you're talking about clean water. So our water system in Chama right now, we are currently in a boil advisory because we have to boil our water because runoff is so high. And so, like, that's also one of the issues we're trying to bring to the table here is, like, you know, river, like runoff is incredibly high. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, 
back in the day, people killing the banks from having, you know, tons of livestock along the banks. And so we're dealing with, you know, in town, we're losing bank this year because we had a massive snow year. And, um, you know, so uh, it's just funny you bring that part of it up because we don't have clean water here. We are at the end of the road. We're kind of a forgotten little area. And so we can't even get it's hard to argue for funding for conservation when we can't even get funding to help us with, you know, how do we improve our water system to not even have to boil water? So you're hitting, you're hitting a lot of nails on the head um, with what you're saying. Yeah. And I think, you know, but had to throw that in. No, I I 100% agree. Right. So I think uh, after the break here, I know, um, Bossman over here is telling us we got to talk about who knows what and uh, go to a break. But I think when we come back, I think it's important for us to uh, bring this back around to the holistic reality of conservation, right? Because what what you're really talking about and the effects that your community is feel, feeling is a lot of those are answered by a holistic approach to conservation. And the holistic benefits of conservation allow us to have clean water and clean air while also allowing us to have a sustainable resource whether that be through fish or through hooved animals to support our families to have economic impact in our communities um, to supply us materials and needs that we can use in other avenues of our life whether that be through clothing or tools And when we start having the conversation about the holistic impact of conservation I think people's ears open up and I think their eyes are open to a wider level which allow us to have true impact so I think we get to that after this break but uh, we appreciate the conversation where it's headed sounds good to me if you've never ridden a pedago e-bike what are you doing I got on a pedago for the first time about a year ago after growing up on road bikes and mountain bikes. And honestly, e-bikes were never something I was very interested in. Um, and I cannot stop riding this pedago e-bike. It is so much fun, whether I'm just zipping around my neighborhood, taking it around Lake Hefner. Um, I live over by Lake Thunderbird and Stanley Draper. There's so many places that I can get out on this e-bike and just control my level of exertion. It's an absolute blast. But oh, by the way, I take it deer hunting. I literally rode in this year and killed a great buck, uh, not from the Pedego, that'd be really cool, but using it as an access vehicle um, to take my supplies in, get in, get out, zip around quickly. Last year I had, and I'm looking forward to this summer again as well, strapping on my fishing gear and using it to get back into some ponds that are a little bit off the beaten path. If you've never been on a Pedego, go for a test ride today. Go talk to Lance. Pedego OKC is located on MacArthur Boulevard just west of Lake Hefner. Mention the outdoor hour to save 10% at Pedego OKC. We'll be back with more from the outdoor hour after this. Now back to the Outdoor Hour with your host, Taylor Maples, on 1077 The Franchise and the Franchise Mobile app. Welcome back inside the Outdoor Hour. Spirited conversation this week about conservation, clean water, public access, all of that good stuff. Josh, I feel like we've kind of struck a little bit of a chord in your heart this week, my man. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, as someone who makes a living in conservation and has for a while and, you know, a former fly fishing guide and uh, fly shop owner, um, I think I'm pretty sensitive to the reality of like what has to win is, is the land and the water. And too often we want to have a conversation that's divisional of user groups instead of being a, a reality uh, or, or showcasing the reality of how we're all connected via this. And whether that's someone who lives in San Francisco and like is sad that they ran over a spider um, or, you know, someone who actively pursues wild animals um, as a, as a way to feed their family a, a significantly more nutritious protein than anything you can find in a grocery store. Um, the, the reality is if it is those areas that ultimately fuel the things that keep us all alive. And so I get, you know, it irritates me that those assets are being taken advantage of by special interest groups instead of finding a commonality that unites us for long-term success. On the phone, we got Austin Fippen, who's calling in from Chama, New Mexico. And the point that we were making early on is that Trout Unlimited has been involved. There's some other groups involved. There's a lot of people in the community that are kind of locked in a gridlock battle for water access. And yeah, it's easy for us, Austin, to sit here as uh, anglers and say, man, it would be great to have access to some of that water. It would be awesome if somebody would come in and spend some money and develop this stretch of water so that it could really become the fishery that it's capable of being. But the big picture when you look at this area is, I mean, you mentioned it in the previous segment, you're in a boil uh, situation. Last year, you guys were without water. You couldn't take showers because, I mean, you're in a small community essentially without clean water. The water treatment facilities or whatever, whether they're just overpressured or under-designed or whatever the, the reality of that is, I mean, it just it seems insane to me to talk about having been there and seeing this community. And it is a small rural community in a valley in northern New Mexico with great rivers that are running through it. But you can't even have access to the water the way that you need to to sustain life, let alone recreation. Exactly. Well, listening to listening to Josh, I'm ready for um, for Josh to get out here and get on board with us because um, he's he's right on the same page as me. So the two of you guys need to get out here and make a trip. Um, so if we wanted to make a trip, and I know we've just got a couple minutes left here in the show, you've got somewhere we could stay, right? We do. The um, I'm calling today from the Chama Trails Motel, um, and so we own a motel in Chama. So you know we love to have people come visit so they can stay there. Um, you know, come hunt, fish, uh, hike. We get people doing everything here. We talked about elk earlier. Um, I mean, that is the primary uh, user of our motel. Come November, December, is people coming to elk hunt. It's and such a beautiful area. People fishing, so. Yeah, it's, it's we uh, are, uh, unreal. What's awesome, too, like he talks about all the rivers. I, Josh was talking about guiding during the break in Durango, so I know he's fished the Mighty Juan um, down in New Mexico. I'm assuming that's one of the spots you guided, right? Yeah, uh, I did, unfortunately, participate in that rat race uh, of the uh, Texas crazy. Hole Shuffle. Um, that was my bachelor party, by the way. Texas Shuffle. <laughs> 
right. That Man. was the bachelor party, which is a blast. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. But seriously, you can go um, stay at Chama Trails Inn. It's it's what forty five minutes or so, maybe an hour, a little further than that, over to, to the Wan to the Wan South of Navajo the Dam. There, about an hour and a half. Hour and a half. The, okay. Well, to like that stretch, you can go up to Pagosa. It's forty five minutes. You can fish the Chama. You can fish the Canejos. Yep, just north. Which is which is let's just very not known. Yeah, which is where people should be going. Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, oh, the Canejos is the best. It's unbelievable, right? Um, and I would say like the, the guys in the know, right. The guys have been doing it for a while who come into uh, JD Adams and company, uh, including, uh, one of our partners. I mean that you guys just did a trip with some clients to the Conejos, I believe. I think Steve did. I think yeah. Steve did. Yeah. 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 So and it we, blows my mind that people would go to the Conejos, but yeah, absolutely. What was that big man? Where'd you guys stay? Couldn't tell you. Should have stayed I, with you. I didn't. There's nowhere oh. near the Conejos. There's like, you know, there's not much over there. It's, if we're remote, they're even more remote. It is in Colorado. Um, there's a couple of campgrounds right around there. Yeah, right I mean, now. we don't like host a trip there. Like Steve may have taken some people. Yeah, okay. I'm not sure. I know we did because it came up in conversation recently. He just, he took Evan. Okay. He just took one guy. Gotcha. When he took Evan. To, he was taking a trip to the Conejos. I yeah, know that. Yeah, he took Evan. So, yeah. Cool. But he goes there a lot. Yeah, it's. An amazing fishery. I mean, and it is, like, you can fish it right now because it's dam controlled. Like, all across the West this year, really nothing is fishable right now because we had, thankfully, a massive winter with tons of snow. Um, And, like, our river is chocolate milk and unfishable right now. But you drive over the pass to the Conejos, and it's high, but you can at least see your hand if you stick it in the water right now. Yeah, and Um, the other... The the other cool part, uh, or the the long term benefit for people who are thinking about making a trek out there, and you're like, oh man, it's already summer. Oh, maybe I can't make it till the fall. Well, because of the snowpack that we're dealing with across the west and the good majority of the areas, uh, this is going to be a year where these wonderful fisheries are fishable. Uh, late into September is going to be my bet. I think there's still going to be some quality fishing early in October uh, in some areas. And uh, the hoot owl that we call it when we got to shut it down when it gets too hot. Yeah, yeah. We gave away yeah. We gave away a once in a lifetime fly fishing trip through JD Adams and Company. We're going to Yellowstone. The plan was to take it early in the summer, and for those exact reasons, we pushed it, and we're actually going to make it an August trip now. So, looking forward to that. If you've never been to JD Adams and Company, you got to get over there. They are on 122nd in North May Avenue, that northwest quadrant to the intersection there um, the address if you want to plug it in is one two three two five north may avenue go see josh go see his partners over there um, man they've got really good stuff great soft goods good gear good uh advice yeah all of that I mean, kind of stuff it's a good time frankly yeah and around here you know uh bass season is firing up and it is uh it is go time for uh all kind, all things uh, bass from smallmouth to hybrids to striper to largemouth, and whether that's uh, farm ponds to river run, uh, come by, learn about it, get out on the water, have some fun, um, and don't sleep on this uh, warm water season here in Oklahoma. 
Well, Austin, thanks for joining us, man. We only got to about a third of the stuff that I was hoping we would today. We haven't even gotten to the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, your trip to Washington, D.C. How about this? Why don't you join us again if it's not next week, just immediately, and we'll do a whole other episode and talk about some of the other things that you're into. Can uh, can you join us again? Yep, we can join you again. Can we propose something since you are coming through in June? I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah, do it. Propose a live recording so I don't call in. Ooh. Um, where are we doing this live recording? From Chama. Taylor's Ooh. going out west. Let's do it. You want to make a trip to Chama, man? You need a live producer? We We're probably gonna need do. one. We're going to need one. Todd just got back from Estes Park. We also didn't have time to talk about that, but, man, thanks for the pictures. Some uh, some velvet elk this time of year. And... Hey, I'd like to know why I wasn't included in any of those pictures. Uh, because my significant other was, and we didn't need a third wheel for the trip. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he, he wanted oh, to why you want the I mean, you didn't include them in our group text. Um, you just left me out. Um, that's my bad. I don't have an excuse for that. It's probably because I haven't gotten a Howler Brothers hat yet. Ooh. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know a guy. Okay. I know a guy. <laughs> well, Austin, thanks for joining us, man. We're up against it here, but uh, yes, let's do a live recording from Chama. There's a, a couple of places we can post up there. I'm down. That would be awesome. But only if my wife can come. Yeah, absolutely. Wait, we'll, uh, we'll wait till the river's down so you guys can sit. Yeah, yeah let's do that. Awesome. Check out Log River Ranch on social media. You can Google it as well. Um, That's where I got married. It is the greatest wedding venue in the history of mankind. Um, Honestly, it's a beautiful venue. Great people to get to work with. Awesome experience. Can't recommend it enough. But also go stay at Chama Trails Inn if you're ever cruising up that way. It's a great little place. Say hi to the owners. Um, they are awesome. Austin, thanks for joining us this week, sharing some stories, telling us a little bit about what's going on in conservation in your corner of the world. Thanks for having me, guys. If you've got a story to tell, a conservation issue that we should be enlightened about, or you want to give a shout-out to somebody, whatever, give us a call. We'd love to have you on the show. You can connect with me on social media at T underscore Maples. You can connect with Josh on Instagram at against underscore current. And Todd Lisenby is at Todd on Franchise on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the show page at Outdoor underscore Hour on Twitter, Instagram, and now TikTok. Uh, Or send me an email if you're interested as well, taylor.m at tylermedia.com. That's going to do it for the Outdoor Hour this week. Until next time, go boldly. We'll see you outdoors.